Once again, to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, on the line as well. And Oscar Race Checkpoint, it's actually been a couple episodes in a row since we've had our last ORC, this news show chock full of information and everything around the, uh, well, I used to say around the Hollywoods for MMO Weekly, but I guess I can bring it back now for Oscar Race Checkpoint because it's the same idea. A lot of news and information, it's just all awards-centric, Michael. Yeah, we're actually going to do like some Oscars punditry. Yeah. For the first time in a long time, maybe maybe ever this year. Like, what was the last <laughs> time we talked about the Oscars on this show? It's been a while. It's been a while. I got sick, and then we started doing, like, Halloween stuff, and Wakanda Forever was recently. I think our last one was before Halloween, the I mean, actual date of Halloween. Wakanda Forever is going to be thankfully nominated for some Oscars, but yeah. still, it's like MCU. It felt like, a, it felt like a fun little break. It felt like a... You know, but now like we got back to back to back episodes scheduled where we're actually going to do some Oscar race checkpointing, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it. I guess it feels good. We're we're in a weird spot right now, the two of us, <laughs> because we are. It just got cold here in Connecticut, like yeah. really cold, mm-hmm. and our our lives are falling apart. Basically, dark I, at four thirty yeah, again. But, yeah, but cold number one. Number yeah. two or one B, our lives are falling apart. We're not yeah. going to really go over that, but. It's true. And um, and the crown has no more episodes. One <laughs> C. This might be a problem more for one of us it's than not both great, of us, I right? would say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. I've, I can't tell you the number of times I've almost started The Crown, but I still have it. And now I don't have I'm, not, I'm back to not watching a show at night. So I just mindlessly flip through YouTube videos of like conspiracies and dark web stuff. You're a lost, I can't be healthy. lost soul. How do you. Yeah. How, how does that isn't that the worst feeling isn't that a terrible feeling i can't do how do you live how with do yourself? you live with yourself how do you live because when i watch like a 30 minute comedy mm. i feel mm-hmm. so undone i feel so I, I get anxiety like i'm watching kim's convenience on netflix right <laughs> it's yeah. got five seasons i'm freaking the hell out because i can't finish it fast enough there's like a void in my soul. I need completed stories. That's why we have to be movie pundits. We have to be movie critics. Oh, I see. I, I see. need okay. my stories finished just like you. Well, you that's, you yeah, bang, so bang the I. table but for this a while. It takes, yeah. yeah, it takes a while for me to get into one, to start one mm. with that idea. Mm. And like a lot of stuff that I would think about, like I still haven't watched the Showtime series with the the Lakers, but I, like, I don't want to watch something that's not completed that I can't rip through 18 seasons of. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, you're talking. Oh, you're talking about the HBO series. Yeah, like I still have not watched the last season of Better Call Saul. If I stop with something, I'm done with it. <laughs> I don't go back to it. <laughs> the the peccadillos. I will not watch that final season of Stranger Things until probably 2031. <laughs> like it just won't happen. I, I am. Uh, I am becoming you and you are becoming me we're, we're like in a david lynch movie where we're both played by laura dern i don't know which name goes with which mm. I, well i guess it's easy because we're both the same name actually right to come to think of it 
That's Laura Dern's But who the hell is Oscar? Whatever that movie was. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. well, Oscar, Oscar, who is Oscar? That should have, that should have been our, the name of our debut episode, and we've, we've strung that along. He's our mysterious ghost third co-host that we can reference whenever we have a time of need. Maybe Oscar should be hosting this particular program, considering how the manic state you and I are bordering on, but... Uh, right. We, we, he won't be hosting. We do have a host for the Oscars coming up in February, though, and that's where we can start off this Oscar Race Checkpoint News show, transitioning to talk about Jimmy Kimmel. He's back for his third time around the barn here. Yeah, he was the host in 2017 and 2018. Those were the 89th and 90th uh, Academy Awards. Moonlight and Shape of Water won Best Pictures in those two years. And I'm reminded of what I think is a fact, Michael, that Kimmel was asked back and he declined correct you saying that makes it sound true to me i that's off the top of my head i think there's some merit to that story that sounds right i'm not entirely sure before they went with no host i thought they asked kimmel back for a third time you could be right that sounds familiar that sounds very familiar and i thought i read that again should i have confirmed said thing said thing if i'm going to be an aggregator at the top of these episodes, I'd, I probably should have. We've come too far. We've come too We've far. We've come too far. Like Harold and Kumar. You were down the hall. <laughs> right. Can we go back to the hotel room? The hotel room. Go back to our apartment. No. Yeah. We've gone no. too far. Yeah. But what far. caused his change of heart this time, do you think? Do you think he has sour grapes from the whole Quinta Brunson Emmys thing? Do you think ABC mm. roped him in? Because obviously he's working for AM- ABC, so they need him now. Maybe they roped him back in. Or or should we view this return as like an omen of increased ratings? Does Jimmy Kimmel see uh, some opportunism here where a potential rising tide of a of a Oscars full of popular films being nominated could lift like all boats boats here? I don't know that it's that noble. I think it is a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, though. I, I know. He recently, uh, a month or two ago, was on Howard Stern talking about how he just re-signed with ABC and the new management there. Maybe him agreeing to take the helms here or him demanding to take the helms here was part of those negotiations. I'm not sure. We know ABC pays a lot of money to the Academy to the tune of $100 million a year to have the rights to the broadcast the Oscars. And that's mm-hmm. why they're not going on streaming anytime soon. Um Again, I'll bring up that whenever Kimmel has talked about last year's show, he is the first one to pipe up of how the host should have been allowed to go right back out there after the Will Smith incident. I don't know if that played a role into his desire to wanting to do it and kind of man the ship here. Uh, Obviously, he was the face in front of the camera when the Moonlight La La Land debacle happened with Best Picture when he was the host. Again, there's not a blueprint for those types of situations. There's not a blueprint for what the host should do with a Will Smith accosting Chris Rock situation. Mm -hmm. But Kimmel has been very vocal about wanting to, if he was the host, to be on camera immediately after and kind of try to reset the, uh, the tone of the show and not leave it up to the professionalism that Chris Rock showed in that moment. I think it's a, a, a couple of those things. I don't know that there's any one thing. I don't know that he necessarily himself believes there to be this opportunity for rising ratings, but I'll say this. I mean, when he did the 89th and 90th awards, uh, Academy Awards, the show did 33 million and 26.5 million viewers. There was 16 and a half million last year, 10 million in the COVID year before that. If this show that he does, whether it's due to his popularity, I doubt it would be more so that than the films, but or whether it's due to his popularity, due to the popularity of the films nominated, if this show can get anywhere close to that 26.5 million number that the 90th Academy Awards did... Oh, they'll be over the uh, moon. Look, 
Oh, he'll be yeah. He's Bob Hope two point He can host whenever <laughs> whenever he wants. Yeah, I think uh, I think it'll do better this year. Knock on wood. I mean, I'm, I I'm do knocking too. On my I don't head know that right it'll be twenty six. Yeah. I don't know that we'll break twenty five. I think expecting it around twenty is reasonable, right? So I mean, the recent upside. high watermark. The recent high watermark was twenty nineteen, which was the Green Book year. Uh, twenty nine point five six million people watched. That's the last time anywhere near thirty million people watched as well. It's been on a downhill slope ever since. Getting back to twenty million, I don't think is that outlandish to th- hope and think. So there's upside, I guess, is what I'm trying to figure out here. And I think you're confirming my suspicions. I think Jimmy Kimmel senses the upside with this particular Oscars, with the Tom Cruises and the Navi and the potential of Black Panther, you know, Glass Onion blockbuster being involved as well. There's a dinner party. Jimmy Kimmel, Tom Cruise, and the Navi show up at your house with a roast. <laughs> and Brendan Fraser with a feel-good <laughs> Oscars campaign. And, yeah, and, why not? Yeah, there's some real feel-good Oscars campaigns uh, as, as a potentiality to, to this whole deal as well. So I wonder. I wonder if he's seeing... I, I, I hope that's what it is. I hope he's seeing upside. I'm hope he's I hope he's seeing opportunism. I hope this is not ABC strong arming him saying, you know, hey, captain the sinking ship here. I don't it, think it, that's it, what it, I don't doing. think you can strong arm a guy the talent of Kimmel in a contract year. Right? Because okay. he would have just if he wanted to leave ABC, he would have just gone. I mean, Lord knows there's a billion other places. I mean, Conan O'Brien just went to Sirius XM radio. Mm -hmm. Like you can go a million other places right now if you're a late night host and get probably comparable money. Obviously, you won't get as much as you will in in pay cable like that broadcast network TV late night. But I think Kimmel could have gone anywhere he wanted. So I doubt this is ABC demanding he does something. I think this is I got the sense every time he talked about the show last year that he was bitter about the way things went down, about the way the three hosts were treated and not allowed to speak on it in the program itself, and that he takes a lot of pride in being a host. I mean, again, back in that Stern interview, he's talking about the reverence he has for David Letterman and how he always kind of modeled himself after Letterman in a lot of ways and how he wants to be this, the you know, the guy and he, what the host's role is in a talk show and in an award show. Kimmel takes a lot of pride in that type of stuff. So this, I, I'm not all that surprised. And I said this on our last episode too. I'm not, upset by this there's a lot of people that were like oh god jimmy kimmel again i think kimmel's a good host i don't remember the shows well enough i remember being i remember being up and down on him to be honest with you but is he better than the host less oscars absolutely is he better than the three hosts we had last year i don't know they were they were fun even though i don't know that you can judge i mean how can you possibly judge what those three did compared to what they had to deal with there. If you were to ask anyone who hosted last year, they probably wouldn't be able to come up with it. You can only get, you know, any, any common fan. I mean, you're only going to hear about the slap. Cause right? I, I, I was, I was hoping that those three would come back this year, get another shot we at liked it. Them. Yeah. We, I mean, we like, they had good bits. We thought they were decent. I, obviously there was the mini controversy with uh, Regina Hall and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, that, that last duel movie that kind of, shook film Twitter a little bit, which was we thought was a little funny. That was a lot funny, though, right? Yeah. Because film Twitter. <laughs> Unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> film Twitter, we we love you. It's a bad episode for us to talk about film Twitter. <laughs> and we get mad at you sometimes. Yeah. No, it's it, film Twitter's been outlandishly yeah. ridiculous lately. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, they have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were just talking about how you're, again, you know, John McClain 
holding I wish up. I had a saucer with one a step. so I can clink the tea. <laughs> <laughs> one step. I'm one step away. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Mm-hmm. That's basically mm-hmm. where we're both at with film Twitter right now. But All right. Well, well we, we got some Oscar race checkpointing to do beyond the host and the awards news that goes into some actual awards nominations, Michael, and some uh, winners, to be honest, in this episode. We have the European Film Award noms to catch up on here. And I'll, I'll start out with some tallies, then we'll go over some of the bigger categories. But tallies on these, again, these are eligible for Best International Feature. We have Close with four nominations uh film director screenwriter actor triangle of sadness the same four major nominations there holy spider film director screenwriter and actress glad to see holy spider there these are a lot of a lot of these films are names that we are familiar with mm-hmm. and have previewed and reviewed already so pointed in the right direction at least as far as mmo goes yep corsage with three alcaraz with two i don't think we've talked about alcaraz alcaraz that's the one we haven't yeah uh but that's uh that's a berlin winner that's played the festival circuits that got it's it's a uh, Spanish family drama that uh, has a lot of buzz going for it and Alcaraz uh, close corsage holy spider and triangle of sadness those five films are in the best film category and each of the last 10 winners of this category michael at the european film awards was nominated for at least one oscar including three of those uh winners taking the Best International Feature Oscar at the end of the day. So this is an important award coming out of the uh, EFAs that typically crosses over for the for the Academy. And this is a big year for international film in general, which has been one of our themes that we've been kind of pounding the drum on over and over again. You've obviously dove deeper into the category this year than I have. But again, these are big names and big titles, some from big directors that have already made a lot of noise at various and previous film festivals. Yeah, we have uh, Close, Corsage, Holy Spider, Triangle of Sadness. Again, those five uh, are the best director category. Uh, in terms of, uh, I'll jump down to actor and actress. Paul Mescal is there with uh, with Zlatko Burek of Triangle of Sadness, two notables in the actor category. Vicky Creeps, Zaramir Ibrahimi, Leia Seydoux, Penelope Cruz from Parallel Mothers, four big names in the actress category. So we've seen this particular award show launch some candidacies in the past. Another round during the pandemic year really got a boost in that particular uh, season once it took home a bunch of European film awards. Uh, We've also seen like the delayed effect with the favorite, you know, doing well a year later this year. You have that this year with uh, both, you know, Belfast, which is nominated and Mm -hmm. Parallel Mothers. Yeah. But, you know, Cold War got a real boost a few years ago when it won a bunch at the European Film Awards and then got three Oscar noms. So typically, especially when it comes down to a crossover nom or a nom that goes beyond Best International Feature, uh, that, that it, ha- it starts here. So this is one of the first shows that does it. Yeah, a better prepared uh, podcast, Mike, would have looked at, try to research the crossover between the International Feature Academy members and the European Film Award nomination Academy, or, or that body's voting body members, and see how much crossover there is. But uh, I, uh, I don't think that wasn't this one. I don't think they publish that. But I think Good. Uh, let's bank on that. Let's just say let's that just as say, fact to bail ourselves out. Let's do that. All right. Yeah, so all right. on yeah. that premise, we'll move mm-hmm. into the beefas. <laughs> 
the British Independent Film Award nominations and some tallies here after Sun cleaning up with 16 nominations, Michael. I'm getting so jaded towards After Sun <laughs> because it's becoming one of those movies I resent even though I have not seen it and it's purely because just, everyone enjoys it so much. You just have to stop. You just can't. I you... can't go anywhere on film <sighs> Twitter, Mike, without seeing someone actively in tears over that movie. And it's like those, you know those dogs welcoming home their owner soldier videos? That's what After Sun is to film Twitter. <laughs> It's yes. just people crying and being happy about this movie. It's I hate it, and I wish it nothing but the best. <laughs> I hate it, and I hope it wins everything. Uh, After Sun is a movie that I need you to have seen back at the festivals. Like, now you're not allowed to see it. Right, not, I'm just going to be bitter about you, it. No, yeah, you're not allowed. Yeah. I don't yeah. want you to effing see it. You're not allowed. You realize you, you, you saying that immediately puts it at number one on my must-see list. No, you you shouldn't see it because you're going to be a jerk about it. That's correct. And then I'm going to start to cry. And then, <laughs> and then you're going to make fun of me for crying on this that's show. Yeah. Two for two. not that's... fair. That's not fair because I also – no, I, I'll be honest with you. I think the movie is, is very understated and it's it's also – it's also a movie that's not the easiest of watches. Like they're just on vacation and shit's going down behind the scenes and you don't know what it is. And it's very vague on purpose. Hmm. It's not an easy watch. And there's a lot of like this unspoken conflict. Is it an international film? I mean, we're talking about it, the British independent film award. So I'm guessing it's at least British, but is it an international player? Yeah, it's it was filmed in Turkey, but no, it's okay. not it's not going to be a best international feature repre- representative. It okay. it has to and it could. It it genuinely could. And I heard Ann Thompson talking about it on Screen Talk where she's like if After Sun does something at the uh European Film Awards, if it does something at BIFA, it's got momentum sure. and stringing these together and you could totally make the argument that it's going to stay in the conversation throughout the season because of all the best first feature or best, you know, uh, director to watch kind of first time director awards that Charlotte Wells can get either with this or with uh, her screenplay. And then you have the chance that it wins some critical awards down the stretch because it's a critical darling. So after sun has, has a dark horse path, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, that's the importance of these award shows and why we highlight them and talk about them in these news shows as we go throughout the year, too, right? It's not just a, you know, this isn't just filler. It's that these things matter for momentum and narrative purposes. Absolutely. And we've seen the Bifas launch other uh, sure. movies for, especially for the BAFTAs, like Rocks and, and, and uh, oh God, After Love, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Oh, just a year ago, Mike. Just after a year love, ago, and I already sun. forgot. After Sun, After Love. Anyway. Your octopus teacher, not mine. This year's octopus teacher might be Blue Jean. And Blue mm. Jean has 13 nominations at the BIFAs. Here is the plot premise. In 1988, a closeted teacher is pushed to the brink when a new student threatens to expose her sexuality. So a serious premise there. 13 nominations. Could be all over the Baptist. It's pretty conventional, right? It has to do with modern day in a lot of ways, and that's pretty easy to relate to. You can see that a lot of people being drawn to that. Yeah, I mean, Blue Jean. Look, Rocks came from out of nowhere a couple of years ago. I mean, 
out of nowhere in quotes because it was on the independent scene, but when it came to the BAFTAs, Rocks was highly celebrated and raised a lot of eyebrows. Maybe Blue Jean could be this year's Rocks. We'll see. As for the wonder, Kieran Hines did it. The wonder got 12 <laughs> nominations. Kieran Hines, Kieran Hines was behind it. The priest did it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. The priest I don't. Did it. I, I usually, you yet. and I are usually in, in syncopatic, synca, whatever that. We're in sync. We're Justin Timberlake and Chris Kirkpatrick when it comes to those types of conspiracy theories. I don't think you, I don't share your vision on this one. Well, now that I know that you're watching conspiracy theorist videos every night before you go to bed, you have no credibility here whatsoever. Like, watch a movie like a normal person uh, uh-huh. every night. Like, can you do I'll that? Watch, yeah, one with Mel Gibson, maybe. Oh, God. Conspiracy theory? There's Although, a joke out of 1994. I tell you what. I tell you, Julia Roberts still got it. Did I tell you how, how good Ticket to Paradise was? Just derail this thing completely. What is happening? I'm glad you were able to bring that to modern day, though. Good for you. The Wonder, 12 nominations. Coming that in. comes out today, if you're listening to this, as soon as we release this on Netflix, the Good. 16th of November. Good. So uh, I'm interested to check that one out. I will give you your flowers if you're right about Kieran Hines. All right. Uh, Living, nine nominations. This was a movie I saw at Sundance with Bill Nye, who's getting... A lot of best actor contenders knocked off the board, so that is pushing him up. The field has certainly come back to that little movie, and guess what's studios behind Living, Michael? Sony Pictures Classics. I was going to say Neon, okay. And Sony Pictures Classics has had the late breaker each of these past few years in terms Mm. of the acting awards. Last year was Penelope Cruz. The year before that, it was Anthony Hopkins, where they kind of stashed these contenders for late in the year, played all the festivals, made the break right at the end, and Bill Nye could be that beneficiary this year. And another movie with some momentum and staying in the conversation. And yet... It's only got two nominees more than the movie where somebody may or may not have eaten poop. I think (laughs) poop was eaten in Flux Gourmet. And I think... uh, That's not me being childish either. That's what happens in the film. (laughs) I think they convinced me. With you the think reaction. so, huh? You've the changed reaction. Your ways. Well, it was in a plastic bag, and they opened the mm. plastic bag and made a big to-do about sniffing the plastic then bag. Then why did the stagehand eat it? Yeah, I, I think... He's just gross? I think he's just gross. I mean, he's working for this band, which is the grossest band ever, right? It's the polysolyphonic spree turned evil. <laughs> Where are we? What are we doing? God's Creatures, Men. Men got five nominations at the Bifas, by the way, uh, and The Origin, all with uh, all with five, like I said. I'm glad to see men get a little shine after finally seeing that movie for the scaries. That movie is not bad. It's not good either, though, is it? Oh, I disagree. I, it's Lynchian. It's very Lynchian. So you're an Alex Garland stan after all of this. I guess so. Or are you just such a contrarian that you had to say, you had to think that. I'm just trying to mess with your head at this point. I want you guessing about your own reviews. What's in the bread? In the bread? Salami. <laughs> what is this going <laughs> We're shot. We're just shot. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're... We're in trouble. All right, trying to get back on track here. The How dare you? <laughs> the best British independent film, the best Bifa, uh, also the best director five. Best Bifa. After Sun, Blue Jean, good luck to you, Leo Grand, living and the wonder, Michael. So 
those are big names and they're represented by some of the most nominated throughout the BIFAs and they're also littered throughout the performances. The performances, though, are where I have the most questions and where we had the most questions about the BIFAs coming in, but you have a tally about the relationship between best BIFA film and the uh, future Oscar success. Yeah, I mean, last year we had After Love... That went on to four BAFTA noms, winning one. Rocks before that, seven BAFTA noms, winning one. Four Sama was one of four. The favorite, one of ten. Three of seven BAFTAs. And then three of ten, uh, one of ten is the Oscars. Three of seven BAFTAs. God's Own Country, a BAFTA nom. And then, I mean, if you go back in its history, BIFA winners have been The King's Speech, Slumdog Millionaire, Constant Gardner, Vera Drake, Billy Elliot. So this award show, again, being so early and being from such a prestigious land of Dukes and Bettinghams and mm-hmm. Hamlets and, you know, I mean, just... Those are pr- the three British people we know. Princess Diana's <laughs> four, excuse you. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's it's David Long. His Princess pseudonym. Die. Princess Di. <laughs> David Long, his pseudonym, and Princess Diana. One, two, three. Uh-huh. One, two, three. We're We're cultured. Yeah, we're cultured. cultured. (laughs) There is a relationship, to get back to the point, uh, between Best Bifa, Best British Independent Film, and uh, recognition at the BAFTAs, at least, with a chance for that to mean more, depending on how seriously that film is taken as an Oscars contender. So, look, again, After Sun has a lot of momentum right now. Blue Jean... I don't know that it has Oscars momentum, but it could be this year's rocks. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. We'll talk about the performances, and that could have Oscars momentum. The Wonder, I don't know what it has. I'm going to be interested to see the reception. I don't know much about Living, to be honest. Living is the the film I would keep our eyes on, just knowing how the Sony Pictures Classics genius campaigners over there. I don't know who they are. We're not in touch. We're not pandering to anybody, but they've done the job the last few years. Anyway, Best lead performance, best supporting performance, and best joint performance, which sounds dirty, Michael, but is not. We have <laughs> a three. Flex we have three separate categories where I don't think there are any crossover nominations. That's the weird thing about this, right? Is that we had speculated, okay, the beefers are going genderless, and they're going to do best lead, best supporting, and best joint performance separately. Those are going to be three separate categories. And our questions were, how are they going to dispute what's a better single performance versus what's a better joint performance? all these other questions it's going to be interesting we have comments on to how these broke down let's start with the nominees for best lead performance again a combined genderless category for the beefers yes sally hawkins from lost king cosmo jarvis from it is in us all emma mackey from emily rose McEwen from blue jean bill nye from living florence Pugh from the wonder emily watson from god's creatures and hala zane from nazoo so instead of the five, you know, lead actor, lead actress nominees, we have eight making up the best lead performance category. Here are your nominees for best supporting performance. Zoe Deutsch from The Outfit, Aisling Franciosi from God's Creatures, Zainab Joda, Our River, Our Sky, Lucy Holiday and Carrie Hayes from Blue Jean, Fatma Muhammad from Flux Gourmet, Paul Mezcal of God's Creatures, not After Sun, God's Creatures for supporting performance of Paul Mezcal there, and Fionn Whitehead from Emily, Amy Lou Wood, I'm sorry, Amy Lou Wood as well from Living, nominated in supporting performance. So I'm a big fan of this. I just you're bringing more people in and look at the huge names now in best joint performance, which, if I recall, 
three performances in a particular film were, were eligible. It was two or three. Do you remember this? I that again, that sounds correct to me. And yes. yet, and yet, and I'm not going to go back and check. Yet, there's only pairings in this right. category. But okay, Frankie Corio and Paul Mescal from After Sun. I've been singing their praises forever. I don't care what you say about the movie you haven't seen yet, Michael. <laughs> Daryl McCormick and Emma Thompson, very, both very good. And good luck to you, Leo Grand. Uh, Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear of Men, fine. Letitia Wright and Tamara Lawrence from The Silent Twins that I, I got to watch it. That's the only one I haven't watched. But four nominees there. It This makes good sense. And this is... This is actually a way to break this up where you have a joint lead performance and you give those pairings their due in this category. Otherwise, I'm looking at the rest of these I'm looking at the rest of these nominations. Bill Nye doesn't really have another joint lead in living. So that makes sense that he's ahead in best lead performance or he's nominated there and it's not in a joint category. Florence Pugh seems to be driving the Wonder, mm-hmm. even though Kieran Hines did it. <laughs> Emily Watson, I you could make the argument that her and uh, Paul Mescal are both joint leads in God's Creatures. I've seen that movie, and they're both just, oh, my God, terrifying in it. But he, he is a genuine supporting character, I would say, at the same time, even though they both make up the story. So this makes sense. Doesn't this make good sense? The British finally figured this out, I think. Well, it does in the way you frame it. But then I also have questions on the other end. Like, Jesse Buckley, I would put more of the lead than sharing the time with Rory Kinnear throughout that. I understand why they're in Kingdom. Don't you think Emma Thompson is more of the lead? And good luck to you, Leo Grand and Daryl McCormick? No, they're definitely both. I mean, yes, a little more. So, I mean, that's kind of my question. And Paul Mescal... He's not more so, I haven't seen After Sun, obviously, but he's not featured more than Frankie Corio is? Listen, the amount of performing that all the Rory Kinnears do <laughs> equals, if not greater, than Jesse Buckley, no? <laughs> sure, but I guess for purposes of this, I kind of took it that, okay, they're saying best joint performance is the most important category because m- maybe other than Bill Nighy, it seems like the most... The close, the performances closest to Oscars recognition to me would be Mezcal and Aftersun, Emma Thompson and Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, and probably Jesse Buckley for Men, and those are three that are paired with their um, co-stars in the joint performance category as opposed to being on their own. Yeah, I'm gonna continue to ignore you for the Men stuff, but I think uh, I think you're right about Paul Mezcal and Emma Thompson. But I mean, let's be honest, Bill Nye is the lead yeah, he's the, actor he's the possibility. Yeah, he's the lead actor possibility coming out of this award show. And I don't know if there is a contender in supporting performance, not really, that I know of, even though I like some of those performances for sure. Probably Paul Mescal again, but that that won't get nominated there. So, yeah, I think you're right in the sense that joint performance has, you know, four of the bigger names. Maybe six, if I give in to what you keep saying about that silly movie. <laughs> uh, I just think it's cool because now you can have, now you can have uh, more people alive, and you could bring more people forward. But I, I agree that it's that it's unique and it's interesting, and I, I I like it as well for something different. But if you, I would want more clarity uh-huh. as to what you know the hierarchy of these and the prioritizing of these if they were to adapt this at the academy. Level. I would leave. I would leave you with this. In my opinion, it would be category fraud 
if you put Daryl McCormick or Frankie Corio or Rory Kinnear in supporting actor, actress categories. Okay. So that's why I feel like joint lead does fit those four okay. pairings to an extent. Are they a little light for lead in terms of screen time or weight or whatever? Maybe, but that's where I'm at. Makes sense. I, I, I'm I'm glad you you have that take. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. I don't. I, again, I haven't seen After Sun yet, so I, I will I will report back when I inevitably tear that movie a new asshole. But uh, <laughs> no, okay, I, I I'm interested to see, and I like I do like that the Beefers have done this and gone this way. I'm I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Anyway, I think we're we're going past the category that might make most of the difference coming out of the Beefers, and that is their best international independent film i've gone over this in past years when we've had amy smith on etc but this has a great oscars crossover whoever wins this category best international independent film this year's nominees are all the beauty and the bloodshed close decision to leave everything everywhere all at once and a carryover from last year the worst person in the world which, which we knew was nominated at the oscars so the fact that there's a documentary in there, the fact that you have two major contenders in international feature, and now everybody keeps coming back around to everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. as a bona fide Oscars Best Picture contender, never mind the rest of these categories, that's that's a category to watch at the Beefus. Loaded category. Absolutely loaded category, as were the Critics' Choice Documentary Award winners for in terms of setting the table for whatever the hell that branch has in store for us this year <laughs> at the Academy level. Yeah, and they're screwing with us all the more. Uh, And this particular award show, the Critics' Choice, what the critics put forward, those crazy critics have (laughs) messed with our brains every single year, Michael, because they take the front runner and they put it forth to the documentary feature branch and that they get struck down almost every year, all but two. This is is the seventh year for the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. O.J. Made in America wound up going the distance, as did Summer of Soul, which, again, mm-hmm. screwing with us because it just happened. But Jane, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Apollo 11, and Dick Johnson is Dead, the other four glorious winners of this category. So what are we to make of this when those four all get snubbed? Not Never mind from, from a win at the Academy Awards, but even a nomination, Michael, they get snubbed. I don't know what to make of it, but all I know is I'm now very, very afraid for Good Night Oppie, which seems to be a delightful documentary that everybody loves. It is now put forward by Amazon Prime. It won five awards on the night overall, including feature, director, score, narration for Angela Bassett, and best science nature documentary, Michael and now it is going to be struck down with the fury of a thousand suns by that terrible, <laughs> terrible branch of people. What do you think is the lead right now for a documentary? Do you think it's Good Night Oppie? Do you think it's all Beauty and the Bloodshed? What 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 is the doc right now? <sighs> Why do you do this to me? I think <laughs> I think all the Beauty and the Bloodshed is probably the movie that's shown up everywhere, even mm-hmm. to a lesser extent. Like. It, doesn't really have a miss, even though it didn't get like a nomination at what what was it? I, not IDA. Anyway, Film I? I forget if it was Cinema I or IDA, but it was out of the best feature category, but it was in for the best director category. Other than that, all the beauty and the bloodshed seems to at least be everywhere. Now, Goodnight Oppie is winning. That's that's great. I mean, all that breathes seems to be a strong contender. I mean, there's a 
bunch of movies here. I mean, we'll go over Fire of Love, Moonage Daydream, Descendants, Sydney, Navalny. They all won their kind of subgenre categories at this at this show. Oh, excuse me, Brett Morgan won for editing. We have a documentary feature category this year that I think has more more contenders than what's typical, I would Mm. say, at this stage of the game. I think that for some reason, the documentary feature branch is particularly fickle in the sense that they do not want consensus. They do not want... (laughs) They do not want the Cinderella story in the sense where they know that the the rest of the Academy is going to vote for the happier movie. They know this every year, or the so, they they know that they're going to vote towards the the crowd pleaser, the consensus right. when they can. So they like to veto those movies that should be nominees, but they don't want to win. So How nice of them. <laughs> they're really, a, a, like I said, they're a difficult bunch. They want their hardcore journalism representations. They want their art films. And if a front runner doesn't have it all, like Summer of Soul did. Summer of Soul was unobjectionable. I mean, they loved it from the jump. So that one they allowed to be in the mix there. And yes, Flea was also in the mix. And they had some options last year. But Summer of Soul was essentially wall-to-wall with Flea, Mm -hmm. I mean, winning most everything. So they were cool with that. So they didn't veto those movies. But we saw Won't You Be My Neighbor, all these Jane, Mm -hmm. all these happy movies just get vetoed after this particular award show, the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. (laughs) And it's Apollo 11, for that matter. And a lot of these movies have been like the best box office of the season as well the most popular documentary of the year they don't like that (laughs) (laughs) because why should the oscars be for everybody as far as other awards given out at the critics choice documentary awards editing like mike said went to brett morgan's moon age daydream archival doc went to fire of love the historical doc award went to descendant biographical doc went to sydney and political doc went to navalny yeah, first feature, Bad Axe, Cinematography, Our Great National Parks, Music Doc was the Beatles' Get Back, which also won limited doc series. Sports Doc was a tie, Citizen Ash, and Welcome to Wrexham, by the way. I'm like 14 episodes in. I think it's 16. I'm almost done. Awesome. Great series. Ryan Reynolds, Brian McElhaney of Sun- – it's always Sunny – not Brian, Rob, Rob McElhaney. Yeah. Why doesn't – I mean, Ryan Reynolds may be onto something here with just – buying sports teams and recouping a piece of the money that he spent in just making documentary series about the purchasing of those sports. Because he's going to buy the Ottawa Senators, too. Is the, is the oh, good. Word. Make a documentary about that, too. Yeah. I, I love every second of that documentary. You're welcome to Wrexham. Uh, best ongoing doc series is 30 for 30. And best uh, best short was Nuisance Bear of, uh, of The New Yorker. We're going to have to eventually get into some short films, Michael, but uh, not today. Not yet. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we we did last year much. On we short didn't. Films. We I mean, gotta was, we gotta fill that yeah, void we gotta, again. We gotta make up for that certainly, because those are always the like the best surprises of the year for us too. It just we just ran out of time last year. We did. We did. Anyway, we'll continue to talk about some Oscar categories and do some Oscar race checkpointing because we have some big news out of animated feature and that big is- news for small shoes. Good. 
That's Thank the title you. of no episode we will ever allow <laughs> to be released. Marcel Deschel with shoes on is indeed eligible for best animated feature, Michael. And it jumps right into contention in that category, doesn't it? For as well as that was movie was received and now how high critics it and audiences better. think about it. It better. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be very salty. So we've talked about the rules for the animated feature category before and what makes a nominee eligible in that category. This is from an article written in The Hollywood Reporter about Marcel Deschel with shoes on becoming eligible. Uh, quote, animation must figure in no less than 75% of the picture's running time. In addition, a narrative animated film must have a significant number of the major characters animated. Uh, one, you could tell that was written by a lawyer. Two... <laughs> I know what everyone's actually thinking when we talk about whether Marcel the Shell with shoes on is eligible in the animated feature category, and I'm ready to talk about it now. Mike, one, does that mean Who Framed Roger Rabbit would be eligible in the animated feature category in 2022? I think I'm ready to definitively say yes, because it seems like, based on this prereq, Everything in your movie can be practical in the background so long as even a single lone animated character shares the screen for three quarters or more of the runtime. And there is a significant, significant amount of animated characters throughout your film. So as long as you have a handful of animated characters, it doesn't matter what's real and what's not by what the Academy's bylaws say here. So, why? so I think uh, I think I think Roger Rabbit would have been eligible, right. which is just, that's the only question I've ever had about any movie being eligible in animated feature is how does this affect Roger Rabbit's eligibility for it to be made this year? And I'm glad I have my answer now. I'm glad you posed yourself the question <laughs> and answered the question immediately. Thank you. And you're welcome. Uh, I have another question that people uh -huh. have been asking. People have been asking this question. <laughs> What have people asked, Michael? They've asked whether Avatar The Way of Water should be an considered animated. Should motion capture be considered animation? So the reason, another part of the reason that Marcel Deschel and Apollo 10 and a half for that, for that matter, were given the green light here is because the filmmakers sent the Academy background information on the style of animation that was done. Because uh, part of it was mocap and yeah. all this yada yada yada. Apollo so, ten and a half is not really all that mocapped. It's it's basically just drawn, which I think was a uh, disqualifying factor when you think about Richard Linklater. He's he's literally drawn. He's animated over live action, mm. multiple features right before uh, Scanner Darkly right. and Waking Life. Apollo ten and a half. I know some of it was mocapped, but a lot of it, or, or was animated over, but a lot of it was not. Most of it was not. I don't think. I get the impression that if you advocate hard enough, early enough, you'll you'll you stand a chance versus if you wait until later on. And that's obviously based on nothing. But here we are in November talking about this. This was a Marcel Deschel. Whether that would be eligible in this category was a question from back in you know March or April. <sighs> Mike, there, there's some categories that are just best achievement in sound. They don't <laughs> have rules. Okay? You're right. They get railroaded on everything and anything. Yeah. And that's why it doesn't make sense to me. And it's fine. I like the I like the flexibility. Let's get the right movies in the right let's just get the right movies awarded. All I the mean, good if ones. you watch if you sit and watch Marcel the <laughs> Shell or you sit and watch Apollo Ten and a Half, 
and you ask a layperson, was that an animated movie? Mm-hmm. I think you'd hear yes more than no. I agree. Now, if you ask the same thing about Avatar, what do you, what answer are you getting? Probably a lot of snoring sounds because it put people to snore. <laughs> uh, that was that was just uncool. Come on, I'm watching <laughs> the trailers of Avatar: The Way of Water. It's an animated film. Nobody was happier about the lack of scope in Black Panther's underwater kingdom than James Cameron, I think. He's ready. He's ready yeah, he was to unveil yeah. his Gungan city to the world. <laughs> and it's going to be. <laughs> he should put Jar Jar Banks in there, just as a thumb your nose. Uh, it's a great question. I mean, I get the feeling it doesn't matter. James Cameron doesn't want that his movie to be want in the animated no. feature category, right? So, like, what, what does he care? He hopes not anyway. But just strictly asking, should it be nominated for animated feature is a great question. Anyway, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio keeps uh, delighting premiere audiences. That's probably the favorite and best animated feature. Turning Red is still high on many pundits' lists. It's still very high on my list. I don't know if it's ahead of Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I would probably have the Shell with uh, a slight edge there. But both of those are very strong nominees in my opinion a lot of people have those three strange world i'm seeing in a lot of people's fives clayton davis has strange world wendell and wild and puss in boots the last wish in his five andrew morgan's hunch was my father's dragon which sorry andrew i just watched today not great really zany no i was not a fan uh we were very mixed on Lightyear. i think that movie has just been polarizing and- and Wendell and Wild for that. And look, as much as you and I were kind of mixed on Wendell and Wild, the animated feature branch always seems to nominate the mainstream property that has that type of animation that's different from the rest of the field. Yeah. Like whether it's claymation or stop motion or a combination of the two or some kind of mocap or like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Wallace and Gromit, Rango, Spider-Verse, yeah. which, which was cell shading animation, Klaus, Isle of Dogs, Corpse Bride, like. Wendell and Wilde has that different type of animation, and so does Marcel the Shell, for that matter, that I think could make it stand out from the rest of the, you know, what is historically known as an animated film that could bring it to Oscars nominating prominence. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, the Sea Beast, I thought, was a pretty darn good Yeah, you like that movie. one. You've been high on that for all year. The Bob's Burgers movie was surprisingly good. Eternal Spring, which is a best international feature selection from Canada, which I reviewed on a previous episode, was pretty good. Luck of Apple was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it happened. It was ridiculous. DC League of Super Pets was good. Apollo 10.5 was solid. I'll be honest with you. My five right now, Pinocchio, Shell, Turning Red, Sea Beast, Super Pets. Those are my five. I know and you my have. My five are Minions, 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 Minions. And F-U-Swell F Minions. <laughs> I, would, I don't think it'll happen, but no, I, I would love to see Minions nominated just for fun because I love Mayhem. And, like, get them to, you know, they can't, they can't present an award on the Oscars stage somehow. That wouldn't get people laughing. But regardless, that right, would be funny. Anyway, uh, that's our animated feature segment. Let's uh, get into our uh, obituary for what never was and should have been <laughs> weird. And you're making them look like a damn fool, Academy. <laughs> weird. The Al Yankovic stories ineligibility for this year's Oscars, Michael. I do not think they've done their qualifying runs yeah. appropriately, even though they played in all the festivals. Right. It's I mean, bullshit. They, 
Midnight Madness at TIFF, I know for mm-hmm. a fact. I think it mm-hmm. played in a few other places. But we watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story. That'll be our review today. I thought the ending was a little preposterous. Oh, bad. did you? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of the ending, especially on rewatch. I watched it twice. The first time I was pretty much in just gleeful throughout rewatching the ending was not great however the first hour and 20 minutes just non-stop laughs really funny dr demento's party might have been the high point it was great the, you know great it was the scene anchorman gang war level yeah. of funny that i needed in my life and i gotta tell you without any guilt whatsoever i watched a full concert on youtube from 1999 by Weird Al, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, thank you, there Roku. You go. Thank you, Roku. <laughs> Roku. So I mean, that's 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 as good as any movie can do for you. I think this year, <laughs> it's it saddens me. I guess Weird is an incredible watch. Uh, the story is completely off. The it's just absurd. But I don't care. I mean, I, it sets the tone pretty early by like having the accordion be an instrument of the devil, basically. <laughs> So you get what you're what you're paying for for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pool scene, I echo what you say. It's incredible. The casting is hilarious all throughout that scene as well. Uh, it saddens me that now you know, which is the original song Weird Al made that plays during the credits of the movie. He says as a line in the song, "This song is technically eligible for Oscars consideration," right? And it's not, and that makes me upset. Uh, they're decisively going for emmys though with the film sure which they should land by the way i hope so the last year's winner was chippendale rescue rangers exactly (laughs) (laughs) which Which is a fine movie which was funny which was funny uh, on a similar level so let's let's have comedies back-to-back years please i should never have Never have taken the piss out of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. How dare we? Michael, <laughs> Oscar trailers. We got to start with a serious one, but a long-anticipated trailer for A24's The Whale. Much was made about the lack of a whale trailer during our brief hiatus. We were out for a week. A lot of conversation happened, especially on the movie podcast that I listened to, during that time where... Everybody was talking about like the difficult time A24 was having marketing the whale. Should they release the trailer? What type? It's a weird movie to tease. It's kind of got this title that's working against its, I would say, I hope that title is a double entendre and not just taking a shot at the main character. And Aronofsky is usually good for having a baked in double entendre title anyway. So I imagine there's some kind of subtext attached to it other than the obvious. Yeah, I hope. it's it's an insult to the character, right. of course. So it's it, well, it's just a very sad title, in my opinion, right? Sure, if and especially if that's all it is. I mean, it seems like low hanging fruit to just do that. But who knows? I, I again, I'm hopeful that it has double meaning. So you hopefully, hopefully, there's a whale in the ocean, literal whale. Well, he could tell a story about. I mean, there's a billion different ways you can go about it. <laughs> <laughs> knowing what he did with the title mother well that's, that's that's what i'm thinking of like that had a definite double meaning it had more than one meaning you know i agree <laughs> i agree good good take uh brendan frazier is the front runner for lead actor let's be honest we're going to confirm as much in our betting odds episode coming up there was a lot 
to risk in putting out a trailer here, especially because some of the reviews have just been striking me like this is strange. It's a strange Oscars campaign because is the makeup and hairstyling going to be jarring? Is it going to pay off? Is it going to work for a mainstream audience? Is a mainstream audience going to see this movie or is this just going to be a specialty play only and therefore it's going to be an Academy beloved film and the festival buzz that is strong, the tributes that continue to come at these festivals, was that enough to market the movie and not go this teaser route? I mean, these are all questions being asked. Yeah, you have a, a smartly casted cast, though, to answer some of those questions. You have, you could pull in from the Stranger Things Netflix universe with Sadie Sink. Everybody who is now an elder millennial or Gen X grew up on Brendan Fraser movies. This is his big comeback piece. There's going to be that draw. Hong Chow is for the, the hardcore cinephile crowd. Uh, you know, there's this is a smartly casted movie, so I, I hope it makes money. I don't know that it's a slam dunk to make money. I think the early buzz is only going to help it, and the Oscars nomination that we expect for at least Brendan Fraser is going to help it in that regard. If the movie was called The Man in the House or something. <laughs> the, it's a biopic of Mike One. The Quiet Man. The Not man a biopic stuck... of Mike One. <laughs> if, it was, if it wasn't called The Whale, which is an insult to the character, we think, obviously, right? I, yeah. I, I'm hopeful yeah. it's not, but yeah. Anyway, it certainly seems that way. I mean, like, you're going into that, at least with that being the first part of the got your reveal. Now, the brief speech that we get from Brenda Frazier, did you ever get the feeling people are incapable of not caring? And then it goes and he goes into saying people are amazing. When they we sh- first previewed this movie, wasn't the word that he was this negative character and he had this strained relationship with his daughter? And yet he's saying a line like that that has all the optimism and hope in the world. Right. So one of the shots of Brendan Fraser is without an oxygen mask. The next next one, he seems to be in a health crisis. Mm. He's sweating profusely. He's got an oxygen mask. He's in dire straits, it seems. And that's when he says the line, people are amazing. So, yeah, I mean, your heart's breaking for for this performance, just the glimpses of it. So what they did, they showed they – showed two glimpses of the performance and I'm hooked. So I think they did the job in this quick trailer. I wonder if they will go for a more traditional full trailer or not. Like we only get glimpses of his house apartment here. He's looking at a bird outside his window, winning the Oscar because he's just enjoys seeing a bird outside his window so much. (laughs) There's a young girl at the beach. There's a man's feet on the beach. There's Sadie Sink looking up. There's Hong Chow's face with tears slowly running down them as she stares and cries. My God, this movie's going to be intense, right? I was also going to comment on how amazing it was they found a child actor who looks so strikingly similar to Sadie Sink as a young Sadie Sink until I looked up that actress's name, and it's J.C. Sink, who has two acting credits on her resume, both of which involve her playing the younger version of a Sadie Sink character. Little sister? Young Mac. It must be. I mean, it didn't say so on her IMDb profile, but I mean, my God, she looks like her twin, but she's young Max in Stranger Things in a flashback, and now she's young Sadie Sink's character in the whale in this movie. There's pro there's a high probability that yes. they're related. <laughs> I would I would say so. <laughs> Michael, I want to dance with somebody. And Not let's too, review man. the trailer. Yeah, let's review the trailer. <laughs> uh we get the rebuttal from Whitney Houston's character in this trailer trailer or trailer uh, by Naomi Aki. 
where the radio station interviewer just kind of posed the question to her in the last uh, last trailer where it's like, is your music black enough? Or there's been criticism for your music not being black enough. And we get the tell-off, the full tell-off in this trailer where she's like, music has no color. I hope to reach as wide an audience as possible. I'll let her, I'll let you watch the scene and get the tell-off, the full experience of that tell-off better. But awesome, awesome scene that we got the glimpse of. There's also this additional conflict with her father, Michael, seemingly getting into some of their financial troubles, and she's calling out the father in this trailer for just not looking out for her. So it's a strange trailer yet again because we we got multiple documentaries, only one of which I could watch back in 2017 mm. and 2018, Michael, where the Whitney Houston story is very, very sad, and it yeah. is it is a drug addiction storyline with her and Bobby Brown breaks your heart. Yeah. For someone like me, whose family has gone through some of that, I didn't want to re-expose myself to it. And yet we don't get a word of that. in either one of these trailers, which on the one hand is I'm kind of glad let's not, let's not focus on that. Maybe if we can avoid it, but, but isn't that, I mean, I, I I feel the, yeah, I feel the exact opposite. Like in the way in which you kind of had to show Brendan Fraser, with the prosthetics on for the whale to prepare the audience. If you do include, first of all, the conflicts that are shown in these first two trailers are explained away immediately. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm not black enough. I've overcome criticism my whole life. Yes, it's a great tell-off scene, but that's also all you need to address that one. Daddy, you stole my money. You were supposed to look out for me. Again, great tell-off scene, but that's all you really need. There's, there's not the biggest conflicts that we all know were in Whitney Houston's life. They have not been portrayed. Her marriage and her issues with addiction. If you do include those issues and those conflicts you have not prepared the audience at all for them because all you've shown them is this lifetime movie type retelling of her biopic thus far if you don't include those conflicts you're kind of being disingenuous to the idea of a whitney houston biopic yeah so this is a big christmas box office play does seemingly have a lot of potential for sony who needs it to do well I wonder how much they care about the Oscars campaign of it all. Then again, they do play well with the late breakers. And this this is a very Oscar-y trailer, I should say. I, let me be honest, because she's getting the chance to really show payoffs to, like mm. you said, a few conflicts there. Maybe they're minor subplots, and maybe the Bobby Brown storyline is the, the main plot here, but... Yeah, it's 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 a very strange marketing thus far for yeah, I Want to Dance with agree. Somebody. Was not expecting this. No, me either. I don't know. I don't know what expectations to have for this film. Uh, You can say the same about Empire of Light, too, even though that came out with its second trailer. Uh, Olivia Coleman's Oscar reel is growing, though. She's going to fucking do it again, isn't she? (laughs) Two more big scenes. Yeah. She is ranting, ripping pissed in one of them. My God, is she going off. Uh, There's another scene. She's staring at a door being broken Mm -hmm. down. Police entering. My God. The cinematography of this entire uh, trailer is, is amazing from Roger Deakins. And, like, we get all the nostalgia here for some procedurals on how to take care of an old cinema. Like, this Empire Theater complex is pretty amazing. And, uh, we, you know, we get panoramic views of the of the, of the the whole, whole thing. Michael Ward. Now, he seems to be rising on some people's supporting actor lists, Michael, and... Seems like he has a fun day at the beach with Olivia Coleman. Seems like he has a pretty <laughs> night of fireworks. Again, 
kudos to Roger Deakins. Not necessarily seeing the Oscar scenes yet, and I hope they're there because uh, he was he's a rising star. Except critics seem to dislike this thus far. I mean, it's carrying a six six on IMDb, but an early six six, mm. but a forty five percent Rotten Tomato score on critics scores mm. on fifty five reviews, a sixty meta score. It is quite the year for critically panned best actor, best actress vehicles. We've already seen it with uh, Blonde. We ha- we have The Sun coming out. We'll talk to a, a guest in the next episode about Hugh Jackman's performance. And yes, Olivia Coleman here as a potential contender in a movie that is struggling with critics. You th- And you would think the, mm. the opposite, a movie like this. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Michael, let's finish with a box office report. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, did $181 million at the domestic box office, an additional $150 internationally for $331 uh, worldwide as a, as a weekend cumulative. It has since done another $11 million on Monday night, so it's around three forty-three, dollars uh, not including any additional international rake there. 11% behind the original film's 2000, or, uh, $202 million opening, but still very good. Second biggest opening of 2022 behind only Doctor Strange, but the biggest ever November opening uh, domestically. A Cinema Score. We have a hit, and I went back to see it, Michael, had a better time in a bigger crowd with a lot of applause, seeing it on the IMAX, raising my grade to a B-plus 87, so I'm with you there, homie. Good. I I was not necessarily – I was a little bit lower than you, but I had – like the things that bothered me with the the VFX did not bother me upon rewatch. Good. Good. I'm glad to hear all that. That's that's that makes me feel better about what I saw, first of all. And I'm glad to hear that you were able to have an experience like more akin to to what I had with the uh, the audience matters and stuff like that. It does. It re- we really had a good time. It was it was the also Mike family going out to see it and uh all three of us had a, had a great time and a lot of popcorn. I got my trail mix. I had my Trump sized diet coke. Just <laughs> IMAX, yeah, it was it was it was the way to watch a movie, and it, and it worked out. Uh, Black Panther is going to keep raking in the money, Michael, because it does not have tentpole competition coming for a while. Even though the box office will be crowded, we have the menu and she said uh, opening up this coming weekend. The Fablemans, Glass Onion, Devotion, Strange World, Bones, and all they'll all be opening up Thanksgiving weekend. But Again, you know, Black Panther being the biggest of those movies. And then Violent Night will be December 2nd. We don't have we don't have another major tentpole until the 16th, Avatar The Way of Water. I forgot to say December 9th, The Whale, Empire of Light, spoiler alert. So av- av- between Avatar and Black Panther, that's almost a month's time. Yeah, and Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever being the second biggest opening of uh, 2022 to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Doctor Strange, on a weekend-by-weekend basis, lost 67% of its audience into its second weekend, 47.7% into its third, 50.3%, and then 42.9% on weekend-by-weekend. So it lost about 50%, if not more, and that second weekend it lost two-thirds of its audience. Hmm. If Wakanda Forever follows Black Panther 1 more so than Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness's audience retention, Black Panther 1, weekend to weekend, lost 44.7%, 40.6%, 38.4%, 34.7%. So if that can follow Black Panther 1, that's going to have a dwindling uh, audience loss, which is only going to help its domestic box office even more. 
the domestic box office projection was already low. It was you know, originally 170 at the outset. Like Mike mm-hmm. said, it, this hit 181 to start. So hopefully, and you are advocating for it already, there is a repeat viewership to this that's going to draw people back to the theaters. Oh, I, I enjoyed it much more upon second viewing. Again, the pressure's off. I could just like relish all the cool stuff. And emotionally, it even hit me. It even good. hit me heavier. I'm glad to hear all that. But it, it was, you know, it's a, it's a, it's good for the soul. A movie like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it is. So I do hope people go see it. Anyway, Black Adam during our hiatus. Black Adam won four weekends in a row, or excuse me, three weekends in a row. This in its fourth weekend did eight point six. Now, here's the crazy thing about Black Adam, Mike: three hundred fifty-two million at the worldwide box office on a one hundred ninety-five million dollar budget. That's not exactly comfortably in the black, is it? No, nor is its fourth weekend number comfortably what other WBDC properties have done recently. I mean, three of these four are before the pandemic. One was after, but its fourth weekend, Shazam did five and a half million, which is low, but around what Black Adam did for its fourth weekend. You just said 8.6 million at the box office. Aquaman did almost double what Black Adam's fourth weekend did, 17.3 million. Wonder Woman, 24.9 million in its fourth weekend. And The Batman, which was the only one that released since the pandemic, 20.4 million in its fourth weekend. So The Rock's... DC debut is closer to Shazam in terms of box office similarity than it is to an Aquaman or Wonder Woman or the Batman, but obviously Black Adam not as well known a comic book character as mm-hmm. an Aquaman or Wonder Woman or the Batman either. So we could probably chalk it up to that. But yeah, the fact remains, like you said to start here, I don't know that this one's going to be necessarily a big money maker. I'm surprised, I guess, and maybe I should have done more of the math that you kind of do when you you know when uh, Black Adam came out to kind of forecast this but that tells the story of the audience hit and what's not so much like Aquaman was an audience hit and played well forever and like you said fourth weekend 17 million it's a big difference uh, than uh, from 8.6 million there so mm. anyway uh talk about an audience hit ticket to paradise 150 <laughs> 150 million is its uh, box office rake essentially 6.1 last weekend it's also number one on vod at home right now which i've seen on indie that Wire. movie made 150 million dollars made like 90 million overseas before it even yeah 93 million overseas 56 here in the u.s that's incredible Lyle Lyle crocodile did uh 72 million on a 50 million dollar budget that's not great Smile came in fifth last weekend, two hundred nine point nine million worldwide on a seventeen million dollar budget. Michael, that's profit for you. That's Paramount as well, who just hired Walter Hamada, who is obviously the former head of DC at WB, hmm. uh, who was kind of ousted during the Zasloff takeover. And Walter Hamada is going to be taking over a lot of horror properties there for Paramount. So Paramount's going to shift now. Uh, on the heels of Smile's success and try to reinvest more into uh, horror properties there and horror movie, horror IP, and it sounds like Walter Hamada is going to be the head of that. Was Walter Hamada part of the James Wan Conjuring universe? We probably should know this. I thought I read that somewhere. I think so. That sounds right. Keep talking. I'll look it up. The things I think I thought I read. (laughs) That should be a segment on Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, Pray for the Devil has now done $26 million on a 20 to $30 million budget. They're being vague there. The Banshees of Sharon, which we just keep avoiding a review upon. I did watch that. I'm not going to review it now. Uh, but it's made $14.3 million 
a 1.7 last weekend at 960 theaters in the U.S. We had One Piece film Red do really good business here and overseas. 151 million overall. It's an anime film from Crunchyroll. Till has not necessarily gotten past its specialty box office level of success and till's done 8 million now at the domestic mm. box office armageddon times really struggled 2.6 worldwide tar was a big hit in new york and la only 4.5 domestically now it's already gone to pvod not something that played well when it went wider to like a thousand mm. theaters yeah, so it's not been doing well scott feinberg even noted that on twitter he was kind of surprised at the lack of uh, box office from that one widening I do wonder what that means in terms of the Oscar campaigns that it's trying to mount. Uh, The Woman King wound up doing 91.5 on a $50 million budget. Triangle of Sadness, 11 million worldwide. The Fablemans was 14th. It did 160,000 on in four theaters, Michael. So that's a decent, decent opening 40 K per theater, but it's not anywhere near like a parasite and it's really not what tar and banshees did i don't think unless you think that the film festival reaction is the one that was definitely going to happen when the theater when the film hits wide the fablemans was just heaped with praise by everyone that saw it at a it film won festival. the audience award it and did. now and now the people that have seen its debut its red carpet debut i mean it's not negative the reception but it's not overwhelmingly positive like it was a tiff the front runner that almost was and may never be again. I mean, is this movie going to plop? And then we're all going to be saying, what's the real best picture front hey runner man. in two weeks? Hey, man. <laughs> I mean, Steven Spielberg's done that blueprint recently. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So I hope not because it's such a special story to him and personal. But, you know, if you just just scroll Twitter, the reviews of the Fablemans have been more separate than i think we would have expected at this point anyway halloween ends 104 million 64 million domestically is where that movie is kind of topping the out a million dollar mark i'm pretty surprised about that um and walter hamada yes uh, it's stupid of me to even have to look that up after looking it up but yes he was involved with the conjuring universe and james wan and obviously he will tab james wan to do aquaman duh Got it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, the things I think I thought I read are usually true. Yeah. So. Good. I'm dumb is the uh, the moral of that story. <laughs> <laughs> You're covering for my dumb ass. So uh, the dumb leading the dumb. There you go. <laughs> As always, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we covered here. Have you seen the I Want to Dance with Somebody, Empire of Light, or the Whale trailers? Are you more or less excited for those movies after what you've seen? What are your takes on the BIFA Awards, about Jimmy Kimmel being the host on the European Film Awards, or anything else we talked about in this episode or otherwise? As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps, if you appreciate what we do here, you could leave us a five star review on one of those apps. It takes about five seconds of your day. It truly, truly means a lot to us. 
uh, when you do that. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, you teased a little bit what's coming next. Why don't you tell the good people, fill them in, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it, but it's a seasonal special. We've come too far, yeah. That'll hopefully make every single one of us filthy friggin' rich. <laughs> Has to. God willing. <laughs> And we'll also have reviews kind of worked into this episode. I've been holding back a bunch of the movies I've seen, Banshees of Inisherin Till, Armageddon Time, and Causeway. Uh, and I know our guests can weigh in on some movies that we have not seen yet, The Whale, The Sun, Bardo, The Wonder, uh, etc. So we will fill in a lot of gaps, I think, in this next episode. We'll talk about Oscar races and what Vegas slash... Uh, London things <laughs> about the London books, the London books, the, uh, the, now this is, I, I gotta ask him where the central aspect of gambling is across the pond. Is there where a certain, is, what's the Vegas, where of, does of James Britain? Bond gamble? Yeah. Yeah. That's what a rube I am. What hotel do we need to <laughs> go into? Get invited uh, in. yes, I think, uh, I think none of that is wise to say. I think any <laughs> words of wisdom that come after every piece of nonsense I put forth in this episode should not uh, count. But mm-hmm. I will say it is wise to enjoy the Oscar race again. Oscar races again. I think. Yeah. I think I'm getting rejuvenated. I think we we've had like a foray into other areas which we enjoy on this show. Yes. Which we, it's a it's a it's self-preservation is what it is. Yes, it is. And I'm we, we like other movies too, yeah. but we have to. We have to do the scaries. We have to watch sixty-five horror movies from twenty twenty two. Of course. And then do an episode on it. Sixty five <laughs> movies You're crazy. for a two hour episode. Why would we do that? But we You're did. Crazy. You're and an and insane, com- insane person. Combined, you know, probably you watched probably another close ten to that I yeah. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just it's 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 nuts. It's nuts. We're sick. We're sick people. But, but now is the time it. of year we go back into their sprint. So, That's right. guys, as always, <laughs> lace them up and get ready with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.